chapters 16 to 18 of Book 5 of History of Animals by Aristotle. Translated by Darcy Wentworth Thompson. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter 16. Moreover, the animals that are unfurnished with shells grow spontaneously, like the testations, as, for instance, the sea nettles and the sponges in rocky caves. Of the sea nettle or sea anemone there are two species, and of these one species lives in hollows and never loosens its hold upon the rocks, and the other lives on smooth, flat reefs, free and detached, and shifts its position from time to time. Limpets also detach themselves and shift from place to place. In the chambered cavities of sponges, pinagards or parasites are found, and over the chambers there is a kind of spider's web, by the opening and closing of which they catch minute fishes, that is to say, they open the web to let the fish get in, and close it again to entrap them. Of sponges there are three species. The first is of loose porous texture, the second is close textured, the third, which is nicknamed the sponge of Achilles, is exceptionally fine and close textured and strong. This sponge is used as a lining to helmets and greaves, for the purpose of deadening the sound of the blow, and this is a very scarce species. Of the close textured sponges, such as are particularly hard and rough, are nicknamed gouts. Sponges grow spontaneously, either attached to a rock or on sea branches, and they get their nutriment in slime. A proof of this statement is the fact that when they are first secured they are found to be full of slime. This is characteristic of all living creatures that get their nutriment by close local attachment. And, by the way, the close-textured sponges are weaker than the more openly porous ones, because their attachment extends over a smaller area. It is said that the sponge is sensitive, and as a proof of this statement, they say that if the sponge is made aware of an attempt being made to pluck it from its place of attachment, it draws itself together, and it becomes a difficult task to detach it. It makes a similar contractile movement in windy and boisterous weather, obviously with the object of tightening its hold. Some persons express doubts as to the truth of this assertion, as, for instance, the people of Torone. The sponge breeds parasites, worms, and other creatures on which, if they be detached, the rock fishes prey, as they prey also on the remaining stumps of the sponge but if the sponge be broken off, it grows again from the remaining stump, and the place is soon as well covered as before. The largest of all sponges are the loose-textured ones, and these are peculiarly abundant on the coast of Lycia. The softest are the close-textured sponges, for, by the way, the so-called sponges of Achilles are harder than these. As a general rule, sponges that are found in deep calm waters are the softest, for usually windy and stormy weather has a tendency to harden them, 
as it has to harden all similar growing things, and to arrest their growth. And this accounts for the fact that the sponges found in the Hellespont are rough and close-textured. And, as a general rule, sponges found beyond or inside Cape Malaya are, respectively, comparatively soft or comparatively hard. But, by the way, the habitat of the sponge should not be too sheltered and warm, for it has a tendency to decay like all similar vegetable-like growths. And this accounts for the fact that the sponge is at its best when found in deep water close to shore. For, owing to the depth of the water, they enjoy shelter alike from stormy winds and from excessive heat. Whilst they are still alive and before they are washed and cleaned, they are blackish in color. Their attachment is not made at one particular spot, nor is it made all over their bodies, for vacant pore spaces intervene. There is a kind of membrane stretched over the underparts, and in the underparts the points of attachment are the more numerous. On the topmost of the pores are closed, but four or five are open and visible, and we are told by some that it is through these pores that the animal takes its food. There is a particular species that is named the aplysia, or the unwashable, from the circumstance that it cannot be cleaned. This species has the large open and visible pores, but all the rest of the body is close-textured, and, if it be dissected, it is found to be closer and more glutinous than the ordinary sponge, and, in a word, something lung-like in consistency. And, on all hands, it is allowed that this species is sensitive and long-lived. They are distinguished in the sea from ordinary sponges, from the circumstance that the ordinary sponges are white, while the slime is in them, but that these sponges are, under any circumstances, black. And so much with regard to sponges, and to generation in the testations. Chapter 17 Of crustaceans, the female crawfish, after copulation, conceives and retains its eggs for about three months, from about the middle of May to about the middle of August. They then lay the eggs into the folds underneath the belly, and their eggs grow like grubs. This same phenomenon is observable in mollusks also, and in such fishes as are oviparous, for in all these cases the egg continues to grow. The spawn of the crawfish is of a loose or granular consistency, and is divided into eight parts, for, corresponding to each of the flaps on the side, there is a grizzly formation to which the spawn is attached, and the entire structure resembles a cluster of grapes, for each grizzly formation is split into several parts. This is obvious enough if you draw the parts asunder, but at first sight the whole appears to be one and indivisible and the largest are not those nearest to the outlet, but those in the middle, and the farthest off are the smallest. The size of the small eggs is that of a small seed in a fig, and they are not quite close to the outlet, but placed middleways, for at both ends, tailwards and trunkwards, there are two intervals devoid of eggs, for it is thus that the flaps also grow. The side flaps, then, cannot close, but by placing the end flap on them, the animal can close up all, and this end flap serves them for a lid. 
and in the act of laying its eggs it seems to bring them towards the grisly formations by curving the flap of its tail, and then squeezing the eggs towards the said grisly formations, and maintaining a bent posture, it performs the act of laying. The grisly formations at these seasons increase in size and become receptive of the eggs, for the animal lays its eggs into these formations just as the sepia lays its eggs among twigs and driftwood. It lays its eggs then in this manner, and after hatching them for about twenty days it rids itself of them all in one solid lump, as is quite plain from outside. And out of these eggs crawfish form in about fifteen days, and these crawfish are caught at times less than a finger's breadth, or seven-tenths of an inch in length. The animal then lays its eggs before the middle of September, and after the middle of that month throws off its eggs in a lump. With the humped carids or prawns the time for gestation is four months or thereabouts. Crawfish are found in rough and rocky places, lobsters in smooth places, and neither crawfish nor lobsters are found in muddy ones and this accounts for the fact that lobsters are found in the Hellespont and on the coast of Thassos, and crawfish in the neighborhood of Segeum and Mount Athos. Fishermen, accordingly, when they want to catch these various creatures out at sea, take bearings on the beach and elsewhere, that tell them where the ground at the bottom is stony, and where soft with slime. In winter, and spring these animals keep in near to land. In summer they keep in deep water, thus at various times seeking respectively for warmth or coolness. The so-called arctus or bear crab lays its eggs at about the same time as the crawfish, and consequently in winter and in the springtime before laying their eggs they are at their best, and after laying at their worst. They cast their shell in the springtime, just as serpents shed their so-called old age, or slough, both directly after birth and in later life. This is true both of crabs and crawfish, and, by the way, all crawfish are long-lived. Chapter 18 Mollusks, after pairing and copulation, lay a white spawn, and this spawn, as in the case of the testation, gets granular in time. The octopus discharges into its hole or into a pot shirt, or into any similar cavity a structure resembling the tendrils of a young vine or the fruit of the white poplar, as has been previously observed. The eggs, when the female has laid them, are clustered round the sides of the hole. They are so numerous that, if they be removed, they suffice to fill a vessel much larger than the animal's body, in which they were contained. Some fifty days later the eggs burst, and the little polypuses creep out like little spiders in great numbers. The characteristic form of their limbs is not yet to be discerned in detail, but their general outline is clear enough. And, by the way, they are so small and helpless that the greater number perish. It is a fact that they have been seen so extremely minute as to be absolutely without organization, but nevertheless when touched they moved. The eggs of the sepia look like big black myrtle berries, and they are linked all together like a bunch of grapes, clustered round a centre, 
and are not easily sundered from one another. For the male exudes over them some moist glary stuff which constitutes the sticky gum. These eggs increase in size, and they are white at the outset, but black and larger after the sprinkling of the male seminal fluid. When it has come into being, the young sepia is first distinctly formed inside out of the white substance, and when the egg bursts, it comes out. The inner part is formed as soon as the female lays the egg, something like a hailstone, and out of this substance the young sepia grows by a head attachment, just as young birds grow by a belly attachment. What is the exact nature of the navel attachment has not yet been observed, except that as the young sepia grows, the white substance grows less and less in size, and at length, as happens with the yolk in the case of birds, the white substance in the case of the young sepia disappears. In the case of the young sepia, as in the case of the young of most animals, the eyes at first seem very large. To illustrate this by way of a figure, let A represent the ovum, B and C the eyes, and D the sepidium, or body of the little sepia. The female sepia goes pregnant in the springtime, and lays its eggs after fifteen days of gestation. After the eggs are laid, there comes in another fifteen days something like a bunch of grapes, and at the bursting of these the young sepia issue forth. But if, when the young ones are fully formed, you sever the outer covering a moment too soon, the young creatures eject excrement, and their color changes from white to red in their alarm. Crustaceans, then, hatch their eggs by brooding over them, as they carry them about beneath their bodies. But the octopus, the sepia, and the like hatch their eggs without stirring from the spot where they may have laid them, and this statement is particularly applicable to the sepia. In fact, the nest of the female sepia is often seen exposed to view close in to shore. The female octopus at times sits brooding over her eggs, and at other times squats in front of her hole, stretching out her tentacles on guard. The sepia lays her spawn near to land in the neighborhood of seaweed or reeds, or any off-sweepings, such as brushwood, twigs or stones, and fishermen place heaps of faggots here, and there on purpose, and on to such heaps the female deposits a long continuous row, in shape like a vine tendril. It lays, or spurts out the spawn, with an effort, as though there were difficulty in the process. The female calamary spawns at sea, and it emits the spawn, as does the sepia, in the mass. The calamary and the cuttlefish are short-lived, as, with few exceptions, they never see the year out, and the same statement is applicable to the octopus. From one single egg comes one single sepia, and this is likewise true of the young calamary. The male calamary differs from the female, for if its gill region be dilated and examined, there are found two red formations resembling breasts, with which the male is unprovided. In the sepia, apart from this distinction in the sexes, the male, as has been stated, is more modelled than the female.
End of chapter 18